you remember 1999, Britney Spears' hit Baby One More Time was topping the charts. And more importantly, the world was prepping for the Y2K bug that millennial theorists were convinced would bring the world to its knees. And while many people were out prepping for the clickover of the clock when the world's power and communications would grind to a halt by stocking their fallout shelters and getting their bug out kits ready, Ian Coates of Hebden Bridge, West Yorkshire in the UK, was getting ready to leave on a four-month journey to Africa. That four-month journey would change his life, and he would never return to the old life. That day, when Ian drove away from his home, his wife Judith stood waving at his back as he bumped his way down the lane. She had no way of knowing that Ian would not return home for another 14 years. This is Nick Sanders. I'm Jason Spafford. And I'm Lisa Morris. My name is Austin Vince. I'm Rachel. This is Ed March. This is Glenn Hickstead. This is Dr. Gregory W. Fraser. This is Dave Barr. This is Alan Carl. This is Tiffany Coates. Hello, here is Herbert Schmutz. I'm Brett Tax. This is Zoe Cano. This is Nathan Millward. My name is Graham Hoskins. This is Joe Russ. Hi, this is Jeremy Craker. I'm Simon Thomas. And I'm Lisa Thomas. It's Simon Pavey here. Hi, this is Grant Johnson. This is Robert Wicks. This is Elisa Workler. <laughs> this is Ted Simon. You're listening to Adventure Rider Radio. Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. And they're one of these signs up tree. So I looked at it. It's warning for landmines. I thought, bloody hell. I just walked all up there. And I had about 30 foot to get onto gravel road. I didn't know where to walk. It was a while. I was sweating like hell. I want you to pay attention to today's show. Grab yourself a pen and paper. It might be a good way to do it. You're going to learn three key things here. The first one is going to be about, is it safer to be on the road or at home? The second one is when you should buy a map for your adventure. And the third one, what to do if your trip is running late. All this coming up from Ian Coates. But first, today I want to talk about, for a second, my daughter, Sonia, is turning 21. And and you only do that once, of course. And I've said this before, but I'm really convinced all of our ages, we only go through them once. Happy birthday, Sonia, 21 years old. Up Ian Coates, who left his home in 1999 for a four-month adventure, and it wasn't even a motorcycle adventure. It turned into one, and he didn't return home for 14 years. By the way, I might add that Ian just turned 72 in June. 72, and he's still going out on the road. Hailing from Hebden Bridge in the UK, Ian Coates is here to talk about his 14 plus years of adventure, over 400,000 kilometers on his 1991 Honda Africa Twin. Ian runs with no sponsors, no agenda really, you're going to hear in this interview, no plan. Well, there's a a lot of things in here that you're going to find um, that are unorthodox as far as even motorcycle travel. And we know how unorthodox that can be to begin with. I caught up with Ian at his cousin's where he could get reliable internet because apparently he doesn't get that at home. (music) 
Ian, welcome to Adventure Rider Radio. Thank you, Jim. Ian, tell us how the whole motorcycle thing got started for you. When did you start riding your bike? The, the bike I went on my trip one. Uh, I mean, originally, like, what, what, you oh, know, when did you become a motorcyclist? Oh, uh, when I was 12 year old, uh, me and my friends bought an old uh, uh, BSA and uh, we rigged it up like a, a scrambler. I went in around his fields. He has a farm. And uh, that's how it started. And then I got my own bike when I was 16 and uh, started riding then because in them days, we apprentice mechanic, we didn't have much money. And uh, that's the only thing you could afford were a motorbike. So I had a motorbike till I were about 20 before I got a car. Although I passed my test for a car when I was 17 because I needed a license for work. But I only got a car when I were uh, 20, but I still had a motorbike all the time. So somewhere not too long after that, you managed to get your own shop going, your own garage. Yeah. Uh, when I was, I think, about 22, uh, I started my own uh, business up with uh, uh, another lad uh, who used to work with me. We both started it up. And then uh, after a few years, he pulled out because he wanted he, he wanted to do farming. He had a farm as well. I wanted to farm in all the time. So I just carried on by myself working. And somewhere along the line, you came up to a point in your garage where you decided to go for a ride. Yeah. Well, uh, I had a phone call one day off a mechanic who used to work for me. And uh, he said that he should be going to Africa as a mechanic and driver fetching a Land Rover back uh, to England, a four-month trip. He said, but at last minute, his wife's put her foot down and won't let him go. And he said, it sounds like a job for you, Ian, because he knows what I'm like. So he gave me a phone number. He says, ring this chap up. So I rang this man up and he said, oh, yes, that's all right. So uh, I flew out to uh, Johannesburg and uh, met him there. Uh, there was the owner who was supposed to be the guide and do all, tell everything about the wild animals. And then his friend was going to do all the cooking and order the food and do the paperwork for the visas. And there was some uh, passengers as well. Now, this Land Rover was an ex-Army 101 uh, Land Rover and uh, pulling a, a Sankey trailer. We're all camping here in. Okay, hang on, hang on one second here, because no matter how easy you think that segue was, we went from somebody who owns a garage and, and, and goes to work every day to someone who just takes this, this thing that's offered to them where you're just going to fill in for somebody on this adventure, driving a, a Land Rover 101 up through Africa back to England. Where, where does that come from? Were you an adventurer before this? Well, no, uh, I do anything, you know, and... Uh... I do out, you know, anything that's a bit out of ordinary, I'll do it. Uh, so that's why Alan, who was, should have been doing it, the mechanic who used to work for me, but had to back out when his wife wouldn't let him go, thought, oh, it's just a job for Ian, is that? So so, so what, what kind of things? Give us an example. Like, I mean, so I, I, you had the garage like 30 some odd years or something like that before you before you decided to do this. Give me an example of some of the, the, the different things that you would do. Well, I go riding horses. Uh, I go motorbiking. Uh, do a lot of Land Rover work, um, 
do oh, I don't think that it sound uh, out of ordinary. Uh, I go, I had a yacht uh, in uh, Mediterranean and with family, but uh, I'd never been on a yacht before. I went sailing. I, I learned how to sail when I got out to sea and put sails up. But out a bit strange, I do. So, so you've always had that little bit in you, right? Where you, where you always want to go off and do these wild and crazy things. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm not boring at all. <laughs> Uh, and and no. when you've done these other things, like when you went to, to, to work on the yacht or, or, or help on the yacht, did your wife go with you or did she just say, oh, that's fine, you go ahead and I'll keep things going here? Oh, no, I hired a yacht in, uh, in, uh, in Greece uh, for me and family. Oh, and I see I, you're living on it. Oh, uh, yeah. Uh-huh. I've never been on a yacht before. And uh, I had to watch people set off from Arbor, and then I did. I went out on engine and then I, I put sails up when I got out. And I thought, roughly what to do. But, it's all, I mean, Mediterranean is all like a big dam, so it's not so bad. So, okay, so, so you, you're a little wild and, and, uh, and quick to jump at anything that looks like adventure, but has your, has your wife been the type that that's, she's fine with you going off and doing things on your own before the motorcycle thing? Oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, she's, all, she's all right, but she was with me on, on board job and, and my children. But no, she's all right because she's got grandchildren and great-grandchildren, you know, and uh, she'd rather stop at home with them. Okay, so your wife stays at home while you go down here to get this this Land Rover, and really this is the, the catalyst uh, that that makes Ian Coates the motorcycle adventure, at least for this stage of your life anyway. So what happened? You arrive there, you, you meet the owner, you meet the crew, everything looks great, the guy's got this business set up where he's going to take the tourists out. Um, what happens next? Well, uh, when I got there, the Land Rover wasn't ready. Uh, and the tourists got there from England uh, a few, about a week later, and the trip was from Johannesburg back to England. So I had to set to and mend it, get it ready. So I got it ready, and then they came out, and then we set off from Johannesburg up to England. Now then, I was sat in back. Uh, the, dri- the owner was driving it. And he would, he's a man who tells all about wild animals and his friend sat next to him who was doing the visas and food. And after about 10 days, them two had an argument. So the, the owner's friend, he left. So it meant I could get out at back and sit next to the driver. So that, I sat next to him. Um, and then, so the driver, the owner did the food and stuff. Then about 10 days after that, the owner fell out with the passengers and uh, <laughs> he gave me $1,500. He says, you take it back. Now, he'd never seen me drive it and passengers hadn't. So I said, well, which way do I go? So he got a, a lump of paper and drew a map of Africa and said, oh, go that way. He says, all right, then. So, well, uh, hang on, this is crazy. I mean, th- these passengers, these paying passengers that paid for this trip sound like they're being treated like like cattle. <laughs> they're just well, they're just waiting yeah, well, for the, the new driver to jump in and take them. Yeah, it was boring when they when, when he were driving. Uh so so when I got all uh, uh drive, it, I think it when Malai went on at over, it was like a mystery trip for them. Um so we set off and uh, I had to uh do everything but after the first meal, they realized I was no good at cooking. So one of them took over that job. Uh, and we, we, we did all, all right going up. But when we got to Kenya, we couldn't get visa 
for Ethiopia or Sudan. So I rang the owner up in England and I says, uh, I can't get the visas uh, for Ethiopia or Sudan for myself or the people. He said, all right, then you'll have to turn around and go back to Johannesburg and they'll have to uh, fly home. So I told the people and they're a bit disappointed, but they said, which way are you going back? I says, well, I don't know, but we'll, we'll find Johannesburg. So I zigzagged across Africa on the way back. And uh, on my way back, I'm thinking, I'm not going to uh, fly home. I'll get wife to send me uh, under Africa twin out. I'm going to ride past these lot. I'm sure I can get through. I'll have a go anyway. So when we got back to Johannesburg, uh, I rung my wife up and she uh, sent me Africa twin to, uh, to Johannesburg. Other people flew back. So uh, when I got my bike, I went down to the most southernest point in Africa. So hang on, this is the point where you where you turns into the motorcycle adventure. Clearly, um, yes. And and it's it's open ended. What's who's running your business? How how are you how well, are you getting by? My son's there, and my wife's there in office, and uh, and she's uh, after a, a month or two, she says, "Well, what about the garage?" I said, "If I ever got." You know, I got killed tomorrow. You and Jason have it, wouldn't you? She says, yes. So, well, carry on then. <laughs> you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm riding back home. So so that were it. So I just carted on. And I went down to the bottom of uh, South Africa uh, into um, uh, Cape Town. And then I went on the garden route uh, across the bottom into Swaziland and had a look round Swaziland and into Mozambique, a bit round here. Then I turn round and come back into um, uh, into Botswana and then across to Namibia, the other side, then up there. And I tried to go into Angola, but they were having a fight up there. So I came out of Angola and came across Kapibi uh, uh, Strip. No, it was... Anyway, I came across into Zimbabwe and then I went up Zambia, come back down Zambia, and then back into uh, Zimbabwe, and then into Zambia, yeah, the Zambia, and then into Malawi. Wait, I'm getting all mixed up. Oh, then Tanzania. I went to Tanzania, and then I went to Zanzibar. I saw a ferry going out, and I, I do this. When I see a ferry, I get on it. I don't know where it goes to, but I thought I'll get on it. And it finished up in Zanzibar. And then I came across where uh, Freddie Mercury were born in Zanzibar. So I'd look around Zanzibar, then back into uh, Kenya, and then I went into onto Uganda, and then I parked my bike up, and I, well, got a canoe, and I went on uh, uh, Lake Victoria and spent a bit of time on an island at the middle of Lake Victoria, then came back, uh, and then I thought, I wonder if I can get into uh, Sudan at bottom, but they won't let me in there. So I went then back into uh, into Kenya, and then I got uh, into uh, uh, Uganda, no, I got into Ethiopia, I managed to blag me way into Ethiopia. So in Ethiopia, and then uh, I wanted a visa for Sudan. Anyway, uh, I got one after a bit, uh, a visa for Sudan, and 
and then I, I set off and uh, I got stopped at first military uh, post in Sudan, only to find out that I hadn't uh, a transit visa for a motorbike. I had only a visa for myself. So I had to come back, and it's a long story, but then I sneaked in, and then I, I finished up in Egypt, and then I got robbed in Egypt, in, in Alexandra. Then I had enough brass to get a, a ferry to Cyprus, where I got some money from uh, sent to me to Cyprus. Then I got another ferry to uh, Greece, and then I got to Italy, and then I could ride back home there, uh, back, uh, back to Ebden Bridge. And that just took me a year. I was like a few few months late. And then when I got home, wife wasn't right suited. Uh, she uh, she you know she said, "Oh, that that mail's for you on there as well." So third and I opened <coughs> it was from BSA Owners Club, and they were running a trip to South, uh, to Australia, uh, and it was very cheap. And uh, I thought, hell, I wonder if they've set off. So I rang them up, I think it would be on Wednesday, and I said, have you set off to Australia yet, you lads? And they said, oh, no, no, we leave, we, everything, all bikes have been in a container next Wednesday. So I took it down to Southampton on Monday and put it uh, in container, and then I flew out uh, to Melbourne and uh, picked my bike up. This is a, this is another trip now. So you, yeah. you got home in what you describe as a, a few months late, but but I got news for you, Ian. Like four months to a year—that's more than a few months late. But we'll just let that go anyway at this point. So how how soon after you arrived home, just a few months late, did you depart on this next trip? I don't think it were many months before I shut off, <laughs> because I think I serviced my bike before I uh, I did some jobs on it before I, I left, sent it. Mm -hmm. And everything has to be right. Anything you go to Australia, it has to be cleaner than new uh, for insects and stuff. So you had to completely strip it down and clean it everything off. I mean, I had a lot of insects in. I had half a bloody Sudan desert stuck under the uh, fairing. Um, so I had to clean everything off <laughs> before I, I could take it to ship it across. And you end up in Australia. And, and how long do you spend in Australia? Well, well, I landed in Melbourne. And as I say, I don't have maps or GPS or all like that. Uh, or what I do, I have a little diary. It's about three inch. And if you open back page, Map at World comes on. I get all get diaries like that. So that does for me. So I landed at Melbourne, and uh, I thought they thought they were going for like two month trip. I don't know how long I thought wife was going for. Well, she knew not to inspect me back in Dumo. And uh, I thought, well, it's only an island. I'll keep water on left-hand side. So I carried did on. Every peninsula went up and down till I got right at top, uh, halfway across on top of, on near water. And then I dropped straight down to Burralulu, down to, to Alice Springs in nine weeks in Simpson Desert, all the way around Birdsville and down to Cooper Pete and then across uh, the other side and then up to Ayers Rock and back up to where I set off from, then across up top, and then across to uh, Cairns, then right up to the top of uh, Cape York, and then made my way down back to Melbourne. Well, that took me 11 months, and I had a month left. So I went to Tasmania and did Tasmania. Then there was another island I saw, and post office boat were going, so I put my bike on post office mailboat, I went to North and South Bruny Island at 
Not many people know it's there. Uh, and then I came back to Australia, and that was just a year. And I thought, well, seeing as I'm down bottom at World, I'll go to New Zealand. So I went to New Zealand from there. You said you only had a, a month left. You were talking about your visa for being in Australia, but yeah. you told your wife you're only going to be a couple of months. In the end, you know, after, you know, we'll get to the rest of this trip, but in the end, how long were you gone for in total? Well, that were a year. It, it took me a year. And then from there, I went to New Zealand. I didn't go home. I went down to New Zealand because it's just off the bottom of Australia. That's what I mean. But in total, by the time you came home the next time, how, how long was that? 2013. Wasn't that the 14 years later? Yeah. Ian, that doesn't strike you as, as a little late? Like a lot late? Well, no, because normally because my wife comes out to look at me. Oh, that makes it okay then. Yeah. <laughs> ah, I see. I saw her seven times in 14 years. So it won't, and I spoke to her on telephone. And, and, and the whole time you're riding your 1991 Africa Twin, how, how is the bike being for you? Perfect. It just keeps running. Except I got lost in Sudan, uh, sun went out, I normally uh, navigate with sun, and uh, I'm in a sandstorm, and uh, I got lost for two weeks in desert, and if I hadn't got out the day I did, I'd have been covered in sand somewhere in Sudan there, because I'd run out of food three days before, and I'd had a litre of water the last uh, three days, I was just last, down to the last mouthful of water when I got out. So uh, air filters aren't good enough on Africa Twins for, for uh, deserts and sandstorms. So it started uh, using a bit of oil. But I did nothing for five years. I just kept topping it up, topping it up, till I were in New Zealand. And then I just uh, reboard it and put two new pistons in it. And then that were it. We were eight. Are you still riding the same bike? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Wow, that's incredible. Now, you also sort of alluded to the, the map thing. Um, I know you've got a, a, this bit of a thing. You don't get a map when you go into a country, do you? No, no. I get one when I go out, and then I can pour in where I've been and send it back home. Is that part of the adventure? It's, it's the thrill well, of just you, finding your way? Yeah, I'm the clue. Well, it, it, I've no stress. If you don't know where you're going, you can't get lost. Wow, and, uh, that's that's uh, absolutely true. I've never thought about that before. <laughs> and... Uh, I just put my tent up when it comes dark and get up when it comes light and eat when I'm hungry and drink when I'm thirsty. And you're camping most of the time? All the time, yeah. But only in the in the countryside and wilderness. I don't go in cities or big towns. They do me head in. I can't do them. So you, you, you were um, in New Zealand at this point. Where did you go from there? Uh, from New Zealand. Argentina. Because I had it in my little head. If I went to Argentina, I could ride up to the top Alaska, get across that lump of land to uh, Russia and ride back home, which my more or less did that. And you, so you go to Argentina, you land in Buenos Aires? Yeah, Buenos Aires in, in 2000, uh, yeah, two, oh, hang on, 2003. 2003, I got to Argentina and they have the winter in summer. They have, they have the winter in July, and so I get there in July and start going down to the bottom of Shwaya. Uh, it was fairly cold, and where I live in the Black Showhead, it's fairly cold up there, in, in, up in top of Pennines and lots of snow. So I were all right. I'd rather have it a bit cold than, than Sudan Desert. So I rode right at the bottom, a place called Ushuaia, 
then put my front wheel in water. No more land left. I thought, right, all I'll do is turn around and go to the other end, top of Alaska. And that was 2003. And so in 2009, six years later, I put my front wheel in top of water, right at the top of Dead Horse at Prudhoe Bay, Alaska. So it only took me six years to get up. That's a long time. A lot of people are doing that trip in a, in a lot shorter uh, time span. Yeah, but they don't see out. No, I'm sure. As, as yeah. you're going through, so how do you figure out where you're going? Let's say, you you know, as you went up South America, how do you yeah. determine your route? Well, I just had to get to Alaska, any, anywhere. So do you uh, stop and ask people, you know, hey, point me to... Oh, no, no. Well, sometimes I do, but uh, they always tell you wrong anyway. So... Uh, I just, uh, I had this little diary, you see, so I know what country's next normally. Um, and uh, I'll just quickly tell you what countries I went through and then I'll come back to where I am. Okay. So Argentina, these are countries I got lost in. Well, not lost, I just wandered around. Argentina, Chile, Uruguay, Brazil, Paraguay, Bolivia, Peru, Ecuador, Colombia, Venezuela, Trinidad and Tobago, Panama, Costa Rica, Honduras, El Salvador, Guatemala, Belize, Mexico, USA, Canada, and Vancouver Island, Alaska, and that's it. That took six years to get up there. Well, that just about covers everything, doesn't it? I mean, there's only a few you missed. Well, yeah, but it, it gets better. I've got to carry on. Go ahead. Right. Well, when I was in Venezuela, I got... Uh, I saw a, a bloke. I said, "Does anybody speak English round here?" Because I've been—I don't—I only speak English and not that right well. And they said, "Oh, I trade and Tobago. It's English over there." I said, "Well, where's that?" So they—they uh, they told me. Anyway, I finished up uh, giving uh, captain of an oil rig supply boat, I think, hundred US, to drop me off in Trinidad. So, which he did. Do everything was legal, but only thing is, there was no boats leaving. And uh, so I'm stuck on Trinidad and Tobago. My wife even came out uh, to look at me there. And uh, an engineer, uh, a shipping agent knew I was trying to get a, a boat to drop me off in Panama so I could carry up to Alaska. And uh, he got in touch with me and said, well, there's a, a, a ship here from Grimsby. It's uh, an ex-Grimsby Icelandic fishing boat that they've spent 15 years converting it to a three-masted tall ship. It's 150 foot long and 450 ton, but they've no engineer to get them through Panama Canal. And uh, I said, well, that'll do for me. So I went down to see them and uh, I looked at engine room and I said, ah, yeah, I can mend out there is on here. I can get you through canal with this. So I put my motorbike on and of course, they'd just all they've been doing uh, for 15 years, converting into a sailing ship, doing note down in engine room. So when I got through, got them through Panama Canal, uh, the owner and his wife were on. They said, uh, we'd like you to stay on to New Zealand. I said, nay, I told you, I left there like four years ago. I'm on my way up to Alaska. They said, well, we're going to spend seven months visiting all the islands in the Pacific. I said, all right, then I'll go back to New Zealand. He said, well, don't you want to think about this? I've just thought about it, right? I'll go back. So then uh, we, we set off to um, to New Zealand. And 
these are countries I went to, well, from Pan from Trinidad, we, uh, we stopped at Dunchin and Telly's. Uh, my bike's on, but I couldn't get it off because it was too big to park up next to Key. And then we did Galapagos Islands. When I'm in these islands, I always make contact with somebody with a bike. And then they Google my name and know I'm all right and let me have a do on the bike. And then after Galapagos, I went to Tahiti, and then Bora Bora, then Eva Hova, and then Tonga, and then most of the French Polynesian islands we went round. Then last one were Fiji, and then back to uh, New Zealand. Then when I got back to New Zealand, I went to Auckland and Auckland says, hey, you should be in Alaska now. I said, I ah, just a little bit of a nick up. Uh, where can I find a boat to drop me off in uh, Panama? Anyway, they found a container for me and put my bike in and I shipped it back to Panama where I should have got off boat when I got on it at, at, uh, at Trinidad. Then I flew out there then carried on up, up, to, uh, up to Alaska. Wow, this is this is really the adventure of a lifetime for a lot of people. You're seeing just amazing parts of the world and in depth, and, and also with an open itinerary. That's that's the real way to travel, isn't it? Oh yeah, no stress at all. Just just go wherever I want. Just do what me, you know. There were a bit of stress on boat. I had to come back to boat every other night, uh, or else they just well they couldn't set off about me because they couldn't start the damn thing, uh, so they wouldn't leave. But uh, that were only only bit, but it were eight. It uh, all these islands just wandered around and met people. Uh, this boat, people on this boat were a bit like me. They hadn't a really clue where they were going, so uh, it were all right for me. What do you think the key is to traveling the way you travel? Is it? I mean, obviously you got to have a little bit of money that you can you can draw from to do this. But but what's the key for for your style of travel? Uh, smile all the time when everything's going bad. Smile. Because you're living, you aren't dead. So smile. There's lots of people who underground wish they could have snags that you were having. So all the time, I just smile all the time with everybody. And I don't worry about anything. Not a damn thing. I got a bit concerned in Sudan Desert. I thought that were it. I thought, I'm going to D and I've got some petrol left in. But uh, that's it. Just just wander off. Meet, meet people. In, in every country in the world, if you get out to big cities and, and uh, big towns, the, the country people in the wilderness are all right. No trouble at all. Life is very stressful for a lot of us. I mean, you know, day-to-day life is, is just um, somewhat grinding and, and things pop up and you can get easily stressed about them. It seems that you've got a bit of an easygoing demeanor. Maybe it doesn't hit you quite as hard, but clearly you can't do a trip like this and have things go wrong. And you must have had a lot of things go wrong. Uh... I uh, don't think so. No, <laughs> that's amazing. See that, again, it makes you wonder if it's if it's attitude, it's your approach. Because well, I mean, no, I mean, in uh, I think Sudan, I got AK forty seven under my chin. Uh, bloke were trying to rob me, but uh, after I tried to swap my motocross boots, which were knackered, every time I put them on, I had to put duct tape round to, to fasten them, and he had some uh, sandals on that were look very cool, and I tried to swap my boots for his sandals. Uh, when they were trying to like stick me up for some money, but after a bit, he realised they, they were on a loser and just looked, said, "Go, just let me go." But oh. I, I smiled all the time. He might have thought I were a nutter, but uh, I don't let out worry me. 
But you're quick to embrace things that are sort of outside of your, your area, too. I mean, like to go and work on the ship as an engineer, that's not... I mean, I know you're a mechanic and, and, and likely a very good one, but it, a ship is not something you've, you've been... Uh, I guess you did have a little bit of experience, but it's, it's certainly not your vocation, and, and you just quickly snap it up and say, yeah, I can do that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I, I do that. I mean, uh, in Argentina and Brazil, I was doing gauchoing. You know, gaucho is like a South American cowboy. Mm. And I was and we do it in Australia as well. Uh, and uh, rounding cows up and branding them and, and uh, saying to them and stuff like that. So you just go through in any country and you just sort of bump into people and meet people and make friends and hang out? Yeah, meet, meet people all the time. Hit wilderness, just look at the cows or horses and, and I jest. You see, my mother worked in dirt mill as a weaver and uh, they had to do what me mowing. Uh, it, it was so loud, you couldn't hear people talk. So they used their hands a lot and pointed and, and gesture. So that's what I do, automatically learn out of my mother and lip read a bit. But me, these don't no good lip reading to these because they talk a foreign language. But I just pointed all the time and I could get through all right with just pointing. How many miles have you ridden on your adventures now? Uh, about 250,000 this trip. Uh, you know, since 99. And it's the same bike. I know I asked you that yeah. already. Yeah, oh, it's the same bike. It's right. And you, you, you plan to keep this bike? Oh, yeah. I know. Uh, someday they'll make, they want to make a film on me. So I'm leaving this bike at home just as I got back. Uh, it, exactly the same. I went out to uh, a charity uh, bike meeting last other week for the raising money for a bike club. Uh, so I went, took it out. Oh, I went to Alaman TT with it. I was racing around here for three weeks in uh, June. Uh, nice. But I won't take it with me um, on the next trip in case all happens. I got another bike ready. And uh, I got that stolen out of my barn uh, last year. Uh, so that's another story how I got that stolen. So the lads give me another bike, another Africa twin. And I'm getting that ready for next April because I have to set off in April because by the time I get to Kazakhstan and Mongolia, uh, winter will be setting in. Well, we'll get to that, uh, your next trip here in a few minutes. But so to finish up this one, you, you know, you went up through South America, you did your boat trip, you came back to Panama, and then where did you go? Uh, up, up to Alaska. And then uh, I got told uh, that um, Aeroflot... Uh, fly from uh, Fairbanks to Magaden. So I went down to Fairbanks from Alaska, uh, at top of Alaska, Prudhoe Bay, and after three days, I couldn't find this damn uh, office of Aeroflot. So I asked, I found out that they'd finished three years before f- flying out. They don't do it anymore. <laughs> and now it's coming winter. I'm thinking, bloody hell, I'm leaving this a bit late to go to uh, Russia. So I made my way down to... Uh, Vancouver, and then I got on ferry for a few days uh, to Vancouver Island, but I finished up a month there. God, it is a big place, and a right good do I had around Vancouver Island. I've a lot of friends there. Uh, and you just then, explored on Vancouver Island? You're just riding all over the place? All over. Everybody there. And uh, everywhere. met people all over. Beautiful island. And then I didn't come back to uh, uh, Vancouver, there were another ferry setting off to somewhere else. Anyway, I get on this here ferry and I didn't know. Anyway, it finished up, I finished up in America. 
good job I had my passport with me because I, th- I thought I didn't know where it was going. So I rode around there for a while. And uh, then I made my way back into Seattle, I think, and then back into Vancouver. Uh, and then I, I stopped winter up in uh, Banff and, and Canmore, uh, getting my bike ready for the spring to send it to uh, Russia, Vladivostok. Banff and Canmore are both uh, ski places, and in the wintertime they're locked up with snow and ice, so you just stayed with friends? or Yeah, I'm, I'm, I know some friends up there who I met, bikers, who, who, who knew about me, and I stopped with one, uh, a, a lad called uh, Neville, uh, and another one called Doug. Neville's at Canmore, uh, Doug at, uh, uh, at Jasper, I. Some more at Brad Creek as well. So I was all right. And then uh, I took it to uh, Seattle and shipped it to Vladivostok at April. And then uh, I flew out to Vladivostok in April. And I thought, hell, this is a cold oil because he was frozen up in Vladivostok. I thought, bloody hell. Anyway, we're all right. Got my bike. And of course, I'm going north then. And everybody thought I were a loon. Uh, because it was snowing, and uh, I finished up. It was all right. And then I made my way across Russia. Then I saw a signpost. I knew where it was because I used to ask people where uh, Moscow were, and they used to point which way Moscow was, so I didn't need my map, my diary. So, but I was going up this here road, and I saw a signpost for China. I didn't know I went near China. So after about six hours, I finished up at border with China. But they wanted a lot of paperwork, which I, don't, I didn't have, and I don't bother with. And uh, so they wouldn't let me in. And I said, well, it's all right, don't worry. So I turned around and went back into, well, I was still in Russia, actually. And then made my way across and went to uh, Mongolia. I, said, I knew where Mongolia, because somebody in Cheetah told me where Mongolia was. So I went down. They wouldn't let me in, because they had six months on the passport. I said, well, it's all right, lad, I'll come back. So it goes on, and then I'm lost. And then I come across this damn big boat. And I thought, oh, I've overshot. I'm at sea. I thought I were at coast. And I thought, but I'll get on it and see where it goes. So I got on this boat and uh, finished up on an island. And it was Lake Baikal I were on. And this big island on Lake Baikal. And I stopped on there for about, I don't know, I'd be on there. A fair while, anyway. Uh, with with nobody, your bike? Yeah, because nobody goes there. And then uh, I came back. And then made my way across Russia uh, to Kazakhstan. They won't let me in there. So then it was all right. I just carted on and finished up back in uh, in Ukraine at Sevastopol. So there were Russia, then Ukraine, and then I went to Moldova, and then I went into Romania, and then Bulgaria. Oh, and it was it was winter. I, did, I thought Black Sea were like like a like a a sunshine place, but it was covered in ice and snow, and uh, beach were full of uh, snow. And I got snowed in in uh, Bulgaria, but I didn't mind. It was all right. And then from Bulgaria, I went into Turkey, and then Greece, then Albania, and then Montenegro, and then Macedonia, and Kosovo, and Serbia, and Bosnia, and Herzegovina. Now, then, when I were in Bosnia and Herzegovina, I came across a bridge 
and there's a plaque there that this was built by the Canadian Army at Mar a little village called Martinborough. Huh. And the, Can the Canadian Army built this bridge in Bosnia-Herzegovina. So uh, I carried on then, and then on this little road, I used to see uh, little red uh, plaques, red, red notices on trees. I thought not about it. Anyway, I'm riding on, I wanted a pee. So I went into wood for a pee, and then I always looked to see if there's any animals about. So I'm wandering up and down this wood, and I came out at wood uh, onto little road about 100 yards further up than where my bike were. And there were one of these signs on a tree. So I looked at it, and it's bloody landmines. It's warning for landmines. I thought, bloody hell, I just walked all up there. Ooh. And I thought, I know, this got me worried, Jim. And I had about, oh, 30 foot to get onto Gravel Road. And I, th I thought, I didn't know where to walk. And uh, it was a while, I was sweating like hell. But anyway, I managed to get back onto the road, but that were in Bosnia and Herzegovina. And then where? Yeah, I went across Croatia, Hungary, Slovenia, Slovakia, Czech Republic, Poland, Austria, Italy, even, and then I went down to Sicily. When I were in, uh, where were I? Uh, well, when I were in Czech Republic, uh, what I were doing in Czech Republic, a bloke contacted me, an Englishman who lived in Czech Republic and has a, a knackered old uh, double-decker London bus that they were going to provide free for the deaf and dumb people, and Apple was going to show them iPads. But he didn't trust this old bus to go around uh, Czech Republic and asked me if I'd go... I never met him, but he knows all about me, as a mechanic. So I went over to Czech Republic and many of this knackered old uh, bus kept it going. And after, like, second uh, This is marvellous, is this, Jim, if you just concentrate on this. After second place where we went to, it was should have been three weeks, um, the man who was organising it had, uh, could speak perfect English, but it was from a Czech Republic. And his wife was deaf and dumb. So this man, this Czech Republic man, could do the hand signals, but speak English perfect. So it was telling people about me and my motorbike and stuff like that. So after that, everybody were asking this man about me. And it was marvellous because they, they were asking it, this man with hand signals about me. And then he were reading what they were saying with hand signals and asking me in English and I replying back to him in English what the question was and answered him. And then he'd do it with hand signals back to these people. Wow. And it, it was marvellous because they were asking if I were married, how many children I had and how old I were and everything. And I thought, well, that's marvellous. These deaf and dumb people can ask someday instantly and I can answer them. And instead of three weeks, it went fi finished up six weeks because I didn't mind. We're going to little children, uh, junior schools, senior schools, universities, uh, deaf and dumb clubs, and they're all right suited because, in fact, they're more suited to me than damn Apple bloody iPad. Uh, ask me questions, you know, about everything. So that, that were good. But whilst I was there, I had an email from a bloke in, uh, in uh, Sicily. So he said, will you come to visit us, you know, on your trip? I said, ah, of course I will. Just send me your address. So he sent me this address, and so I said to this English bloke in the Czech Republic who owned the bus, 
I says, I've got to go to Italy. Which way is it best to get to Italy? And he says, oh, well, you know, you just come through it down there. I says, why, with this town called Sicily, where is it? He says, oh, it's in the town. It's an island off bottom of Sicily. I says, oh, right at bottom? He said, aye. I said, well, that's all right. I can't get lost as long as I go to the bottom. So I went right at the bottom of Italy, got ferry to Sicily, and they were right suited to see me there. And I went round Sicily. That was winter as well. I got snowed in a bit, don't way back up. When I was there, I got another email from a lad in Madrid. He said, will you come to visit us? We understand you've visited people in Sicily. So of course I will, just down where you live. So he told me that. But I was snowed in at the time. Anyway, they said... Uh, lad says, well, you can't ride round. Go down to Genoa and get a ferry across to Barcelona. So I did do. So I went down to Genoa and got a ferry to Barcelona, then went up to Madrid. And then this lad went, we ride round with me. We went round, round Spain and Portugal. And then he went back home and I carried on uh, to... Uh, where did I go there? Spade, Portugal. Oh, aye. Switzerland. Oh, France, Switzerland, Germany, Luxembourg. This is winter, snowing like hell. Then Holland, and then Belgium, and then home. How are you and riding then, around through the snow on your bike? Because I get used to it. Where I live is right wild. So you just have, are you running with studs in your tires? No, no. Just right. You just slide up and down. It's right. Well, it's because when I was a young lad, we used to ride on uh, old English bikes. It went. We can't afford bi- uh, cars, so we, we drove all all year. So it makes the difference, you know. It's just right. None so of the police stop you along the way, wondering what you're doing riding your motorcycle through the snow. They got a bit cat. They won't let me. I was riding at about minus. I was going up about twenty five minus thirty from Vancouver up to Jasper in winter. And uh, they wouldn't let me go over Big Hill, Big Mountain somewhere. They said, no, you can't. It's too bad. I said, go on, let me go. Then, anyway, they wouldn't. Anyway, a woman came with a, a pickup and I put my bike in a pickup. I put my bike up. No, a bloke. And that's it. A bloke had, had given me a lift from Vancouver in his pickup because it was winter and dropped me off in... Uh, God damn. I forgot all my notes. Anyway, forgot dropped me off in uh, somewhere in Canada, way over Rockies, and dropped me off there. And then I rode from there, and then going over Rockies, that's when they wouldn't let me go over. Anyway, the woman come, and she would let her go in a pickup. And uh, I said, well, I asked her if I could put my bike back with a pickup to go over. She said, yes. So all these lads at Frontier and some more, Put my bike back, and we went over. And she, I think she dropped me off at Jasper or somewhere like that. Then I rode down to uh, uh, Canmore, and then where's the other place? Brad Creek, Brad Creek, and, uh, and that's when you ended up spending the winter there. Winter there, yeah, there and and at, at Brad Creek, and also at Canmore with Neville Stowe. Stowe is mm. an English lad who's lived there a right long time. Neville, in fact, Neville. But for Neville, I'd still be in Canada trying to get a visa for uh, Russia because I had a clue how to do it. Oh, oh, he helped you sort that out? He did it. I, I'd have still been in damn Canmore now. <laughs> uh, and uh, so, so that, that was that. 
It's interesting because you're, you know, you're buzzing through these, these areas and you say, even just for, you hit North America and you go from North America up to Alaska and then you're talking about Russia. These little sections that you're just skipping over are complete trips for most people. I mean, a full on complete trip and you've buzzed around all over the place. 14 years now um, that, you, that you spent on, on that particular trip, clearly in my mind, and I know if I was to ask my wife this, she would say, yes, you are absolutely late. There, <laughs> there's there's well, no doubt about it. <laughs> well, we're late, yeah. But you see, when I was young, I worked all the time. I never had no time off. Uh, started delivering papers when I was 13 because I was big, I could get a paper around. And then I started being an apprentice mechanic and working and working and working. But I enjoyed it. And I thought, someday I'll want to have a ride on my bike. And then when I set off, I thought, well, I'll just carry on. Because once you, I were a late, and I thought, well, I'll just keep going. Because if you're late, you're late. It's like if something just misses a summit, you miss it. doesn't matter if you miss it with eighth of an inch or miss it with a mile. You've bloody missed it. And if you're late, you're late. I used to talk to wife. And where I live, it's right. It's up in hills and clouds always down. It's always raining and blowing and snowing. And she'll say, uh, where are you now? And I, like when I'm in Trinidad, she says, where are you? Oh, she says, is it fine where you are? I said, aye, sun's out. She says, all right, I'm coming. I said, right, lass. She says, where are you? I said, I'm in Trinidad. She says, right. So she goes down to travel agents and books a return ticket to Trinidad. She hadn't a clue where it is, but uh, she got there. She, I mean, she's been out all over. She's been to New Zealand, been, been to Brazil, Ecuador, uh, all of it, shop. You've been back now for uh, a year and a bit, I guess. Yeah, nearly, yeah. Well, yeah, nearly two years, I think. Nearly two years, and you're you're already set to head off again. Yeah, well, I've, fi- I've like fourteen years of maintenance to do on my farm buildings and house. I'm doing that, just putting a new roof on one of the barns. How old are you now? How old? Seventy two. 72. And you're about yeah. to head off at 72 on your next adventure. And how long is your next adventure and where are you well, going? Well, I don't know. Uh, I don't think it'll be long. A few years, but uh, I don't think it'll be too long because, uh, uh, well, I've lots to do at home yet. I've got a lot of stuff to do. My wife used to fix me, bring me spares out as well. She's fixed me. I fell out, I got knocked off my bike second day in Mexico out to Burleys, I got knocked off, and I rode it f- from uh, Mexico up into Mississippi, right up there, with all front end twisted. Uh, and I, w- I was too late, two weeks late when I got knocked off down bike. So about three weeks late when I got back up to Mississippi, where my wife was. But she was all right, because I'd notified the lads, the family where she was stopping, they were bikers, that I'd had a bit of an accident. And but don't tell wife I'm late. And when I come back up, <coughs> all front ends twisted. So uh, we start to straighten it up, and then I pay for everything myself. I don't get no sponsors and out. So my wife, no, my daughter came out with some parts on me, uh, front end. So I put all them back together, and then that were it. I was going to ask you about the sponsorship thing. I didn't think you had sponsors. Um, no. Do you, you just didn't not bother with them? No, no, I, I just just do it. I'm time to beg, beggar about with them. I just do it, you know. Uh, I, I just have it to do. A, a bloke, I forgot his name now, in Can, Neville were right good in Canmore. There's another bloke, ex-English Bobby. All, I say all my damn notes, I'm forgetting them at home. He bought me a new pair of motocross boots. 
Uh, as I say, they get, uh, they're all duct taped up. I had the same boots on that in Africa. And uh, he gave me uh, a new pair of motocross boots. And, and that's it. There's a bloke in Brazil. He gave me a new back tyre. And stuff like that, you know. But I don't go begging and asking for them, you know. But I keep in touch with them. Uh, Is, has it been uh, expensive for you to travel around? Well, no. Because I... I, I I eat out. If there's any roadkill, it's all right. I'll, I'll have it. Uh, and I'll eat anything. I normally eat beans, sardines. Um, what's right good as bananas and peanut butter. I mean, Elvis could sing like hell off that, and that's what he liked. Uh, so I have, I always have bread around, bits of bread, and if it gets a bit green, you have to scrape it off. But normally you get some... Uh, bananas and peanut butter and that's all right and water and i'm right i never ail out you know i never go down sick without i should do but i don't do do you document it as you go along you're making notes and keeping your journals no no i, I have i have my diary as i say i put it my diary which at map at world in i always get a little and i put down where i sleep now my cousin derek pollard he, he's good on this machine doing stuff uh i've, I've sent photos back home all the time and videos now then I had a video camera for Africa and then part of Australia till I threw it away because uh, I had two video cameras and when the second one went, wouldn't do, I thought, oh, bugger this, I threw it away. So then I had a normal camera that took old-fashioned photos and I had another camera that took slides, which I haven't looked at yet. And I did that part of Australia and New Zealand and then most of... South America, but then when I go into Paraguay, I bought a digital one and uh, for, for digital films. But all these other films I sent all back home, and I've only just looked at them. How had Eric's got them sorted out? Uh, Adam, Adam uh, developed. So we have to go through them. But I've got through Africa and New Zealand, I think there's 50, were there? Yeah, there were 50 uh, uh, videos and about two hours apiece. Uh, and if anybody ever gets them, they look at. They won't go to bed. They just look at them because it's just me videoing. I talk to myself a lot. I put I put my video camera on a rock and talk to myself, and uh, it's just normal. Just just me, no camera crew. I'm out because I'm miles from anywhere. There's just nothing where I am, uh, and and have that to do. But all I'm saying, Jim. So what I'll do this book. I'll do a book for fourteen years. Then I'll do a book for every year. Otherwise, it'd be a hell of a big book. You'd have to have a trolley to cart it around on. <laughs> uh, because things that's happened to me every day, that's a bloody laugh, every day. It's lifetimes. Uh, it's lifetimes of adventure, for sure. Yeah. Ian, what, what, would, what would your family and friends say has changed about you since you left 14 years ago and came back? I'm bald. <laughs> that's it? Yeah. That's just a physical change. You haven't you haven't changed at all. Your your personality, your idea, your outlooks on life, your outlook on people, the world. Nothing. No, I'm always right. Good with people. Uh, no, I'm just bald now. But I, I'm not. I'm nearly bald, so I, I have all my hair cut off, so it looks as if it, there was some. <laughs> no. <laughs> <laughs> and now you've got the biker look. <laughs> yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Yeah, they call me Baldrick. Yeah. No. So I'm all right. No, there's no no the different. And how about when you came back? What had changed for you? I mean, when you came back and you're saying about you know you've got buildings that need maintenance and you got a farm there that needs work. Right. 
I'll tell you something now, Jim, I'll get you laughing. So for 14 years, I'm wandering around Africa, uh, Russia, Siberia, everybody, where, where you shouldn't go. If they, tell you, if they say don't go, I'm off like a shot, I'll get there. I'll go there and have a look round. And there's never no trouble. Anyway, I've come back home, 14 years, no trouble. Sweeping me a barn out, loft, you know, where you put A up top. It was like 15 years since I trod on it. And I'm sweeping it out, and bloody floor gave way, and I fell through. <laughs> Straight to the bloody floor. Bugger me. So I'm in pain at the bottom, but I had my phone in my top pocket. So I rung, I rung out my lad up, Jason. Jason, get yourself up here bloody quick. I've just fallen through bloody roof. I'm on the floor, and I'm in pain, and I can't move my legs. I said, but don't tell your mother. First thing he bloody does, tell his mother. She came <laughs> flying in. Bloody, what's up with you? What's up with you? What's up with you? And then my daughter came, and my, and my son came. I says, and so they rung for ambulance then. So ambulance come, and two of them came and uh, looked at me and checking me all over, and, they, and I were in pain, so they gave me morphine, and then they started uh, checking me over, and uh, they started cutting me overalls off, making a right bloody set of them. And I said, I tell you what, young lads, I said, for a bloody woman, you'd have me bloody clothes off a lot quicker, wouldn't you? And they said, oh, you're not so bad, really. <laughs> anyway, they had, they, they had, that got me all stripped stripped off and checking me over. Anyway, they said, oh, no, we can't take him to Leeds in ambulance. It's too rough because I couldn't move my legs. I thought I'd done my back in. Anyway, so they sent for helicopter. So helicopter comes and picks me up out in field just outside uh, and takes me to Leeds and then uh, checked me over. And I had a broken pelvis, broken shoulder and some ribs gone. So I'm in hospital there. Everything else were all right. So it was 14 years and no trouble. Come home and fell through a bloody barn roof. Anyway, when I'm in hospital, after a few days, nurse came and said, oh, the BBC is here. Uh, can they come and interview you? They were on the helicopter that, uh, that fetched you in. I said, oh, of course you can, lass. So BBC come and says, oh, uh, we're on the helicopter. Can we use you for advertising purposes about this here uh, helicopter heroes? I says, ah, look, yeah, you can. Don't my name. And that's it. Then after a, a, a few days, they came back in again. She says, oh, we found out who you are now. She says, uh, you're famous. I said, well, not really. Uh, she says, well, look, when you, get, when you uh, come out of hospital, uh, can you give us a ring? And can we come up and do a story on you on BBC? I said, of course you can, love. So they did do. But that's when they videoed it, or, or, or yeah, did film, and showed me new bike at Barn. And about a week after, some buggers come up and stole it. Oh. The bike that I'd got ready to set off on in April, you see. So uh, they, they set off. So they pinched my bike. So I didn't, I didn't go in April. I finished up going to Alaman TT with my Africa twin that I'd just come back from uh, um, my long trip on with my crutches on back. And... Uh, because I couldn't walk right well, but I could manage to get on bike. Uh, parking were a bit dodgy. I had to get my mate to come next to me and flip my side stand down so I could get off it. Uh, but I went to Isle of Man. And that so Ian, you, you just proved that it's more dangerous to be at home working than it is to be out riding your motorcycle around the world. I mean, that's oh, yeah. that's a given now. I mean, that that's that's uh, I didn't know that before. Oh, yeah, yeah. You're a lot more dangerous at home where you are. <laughs> Yeah, get on your bike and get set off. I can ride. <laughs> yeah. What's the new bike that you're taking then? 
Same. It's a 1990 Africa twin. Clearly like the Africa twin, there's no doubt about that. Um, You you haven't thought of going with a newer bike? Well, they don't make one that's any good. Okay, I see. I was going to say that they don't make Africa twins, but they make other bikes, but you don't think any other is going to be as good as that. It it does sound amazing. I mean, Honda's known for its reliability. There's no doubt about it. Um, But it it does seem incredible. It sounds like you, you really haven't had any any major trouble with it. No, I mean, I'm a mechanic and I used to do lots of welding, get Land Rovers ready for Africa. So when I wanted a bike, I looked at this and I thought, there's no to smash on it. It's all covered up. It's right. Uh, it, everything's tucked in neatly out at road. Uh, and I've looked at lots of bikes since. There is no. You see, I go off road all the time. Most of these bikes that you see going round won't go over into wilderness and fall off them every day and still be all right. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mine's just right. It doesn't take. And also, my bike is only electro- ignition's electronic. Anybody who went to mechanic can break down anywhere with my bike. And if a bloke mends a lawnmower or a tractor or a, a compressor or a, a boat, it can mend my bike. Most of these new bikes are too much electric on them. I, I do a lot of river crossings by myself. And uh, uh, I'll get lots of water on it. snowed all over everything. You know, it, uh, but it's right, by, by, I'd go around the world again on it, but without an hesitation. But I know sometimes I want to make a film and I don't want them to uh, use another damn bike if I'm not around, if it happens to it. So I've left it there uh, so they can use it. Uh, tires, I mean, tires, I just use normal uh, 75% uh, road and 25% off. And they would do perfect for me. Never had no trouble. I, I mean, as I say, I'm in wilderness nearly all the time, mud, snow, ice, everything. I don't care what time of year it is or what uh, conditions are, uh, and I've no, no trouble. So what we've learned here is we've learned uh, some key things. One, you're, you're safer riding your motorcycle around the world than you are at home. That's a given. The other yeah. one is you buy a map after you leave the country that you've found your way through because if you don't know where you're going you can't be lost and the other one that i get from this is that when you're late you don't have to worry anymore because you're already late so at that point you just relax That's did i it. miss anything no it nail on the head jim there <laughs> yeah that's so perfect the- so, so for those out there who, who are definitely going to be considering doing something even better than what they've already done now after listening to your story, what advice would you have for them? Right. Say you're going from, Alaska, from Argentina to Alaska uh, and you haven't as much time as me because you might not have as much time. Go to Argentina and do as, say you can only manage six months at a, at a time. Do your six months. Put your bike into a reputable garage that's been there for a long time. Tell everybody on Facebook and everybody around the world where you are and you're leaving your bike at such and such a garage because you're flying back home and then you're going to pick it up next year. But you tell everybody and that garage knows all the bloody world knows your bike's there so they can't sell it to Oak Dodger. So come back home for six months or a year, go back out, pick it up from there and then carry on again a bit. Tell you run out of time. Don't try to do it all at once, and uh, and that's the best way. What about bike and gear? Um, what's your recommendations <laughs> on that? Uh, Oxfam shop or uh, stuff like that. No, in, when I was going over, at, when when I was going over at top, and it was like minus twenty thirty, going over at top, we we uh, at cold. 
all I do is have normal socks and put supermarket bags over my socks. Now, when they were right cold, mine was steady going over the top, I put three supermarket bags over my socks. Uh, my socks actually are wool socks uh, made out of merino wool from New Zealand. They're right good socks, but I wear them summer and winter and everything. I'm in motocross boots. And my gloves, I just have I'm two pair of them uh, uh, cotton-type working gloves. But I do admit sometimes I have to stop and put my hand on exhaust a bit. But I know when my hands are getting warm because my gloves start smoking. So I think, <laughs> hell, hell, I'm getting warm here. And that's it. A normal jacket. When I was in New Zealand, I went to Hamilton uh, to an Honda garage because Isle of Man TT run. And I was in withdrawal symptoms because I'd missed it. And I went inside and the owner's son <coughs> was in his sales office watching TT. And I said, is that TT to him? He says, aye, yes, it is. I said, can I watch it? He said, come on in. So I went in and uh, when it finished, he says, uh, how long have you had your leathers on? I said, well, I've had them all through Africa and, and, and uh, like Australia. And they were just like like a two-week-old roadkill cow wrap around there. They stunk. <laughs> they were rotten. They, they were, he says, good, I think you need some new ones. He says, I tell you what, just hang on. And so he rang White's Wholesales up in Hamilton, and this were Honda Garage down. And he says, go there and, and see them. They're waiting for you. So I went to White's Wholesalers in Hamilton, not far off, and uh, I said, uh, so-and-so sent me. He said, oh, yeah, come in. Oh, he said, we can tell who's you sent me. He uh, sent you. So he said, take your jacket off and leave it out there. So, because it did stink. And uh, so they gave me a new Technic suit, and I've still got it. And uh, it were right good with that, and that were in 2003. I mean, it's knackered now. I mean, uh, it lets water in, and I've, I've put stuff on it that you seal tents with, and it still leaks, and all zips are beggared. It, it's knackered, really. All zips are buggered, and uh, I don't wear it anymore now. But it doesn't smell. Not well, not much anyway. And uh, not that you can tell. No, but I, I wear anything. What I've got now, Jim, is uh, motorbike stuff's right expensive. And I was working with a lad. I've been mending JCBs, and uh, he had a right good suit on. And he's been working on oil rigs up in Orkney's. And he had a full suit, uh, a jacket, and like uh, pants on, and that's right waterproof. And if you fall in water, it blows itself up. And it's made in Sweden. He says, oh, no, lads on rigs have them up there. And they're full waterproof, even if you fall in the sea. So I've got one of them now, and it even has a whistle on. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so I haven't tested it yet. That's for my next trip. But it's a fairly big one. So that'll be all right. As far as motorcycles go, I mean, they don't make the Africa Twin. Well, actually, they are starting to make the Africa Twin. Um, so what would you recommend that people look for in a motorcycle? Well... Uh, just depends where they want to go. If they're going to go on tarmac, uh, uh, out will do for them. If they're going to go in wilderness, they want something a bit, you know, a, a good Jap bike and uh, that's going to get there. But I think Transalps are right underestimated. A right good bike is a Transalp. What makes them a good bike? On, on, well, they're fairly simple. Just simple and tucked out at road. It's like a little one of mine. Uh, they made 650, made a 700, but the 700 will be fuel injection inf injected, I think. And I'm a bit down on that for wilderness riders. They're all right for street riders and, you know, 
people in towns and cities, but if you're going to go into wilderness and you have any trouble, uh, get some foul petrol in, which you will do, uh, you want to be able to mend it. But I mean, CDI ignition is around, and your bike has CDI ignition, I'm sure. And and I mean, that, that's been a reliable system. Why not fuel injection? Yeah. Well, because it's for fuel that you get. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you're middle of nowhere getting fueling cans and stuff like that. You aren't in city or towns, you're in wilderness getting cans. And if you get any petrol in and knock an injector up, you're beggared. So a carburetor is simple, what you can mend. No, you can always take a carburetor apart and clean it, but uh, the, yeah. the injector is, is non-serviceable, well, other that's than it. rinsing it out. Yeah, hmm. that, that's all. And all you have to do is learn how to mend tyres and stuff like that, punctures and, and things like that. You need, you need uh, tubed tyres, tubeless are no good. Uh, you, you know, you can't repair them. Ian, where can people find out more about you? Our house. Your what? <laughs> Our house, where I live. <laughs> <laughs> I meant on the internet. <laughs> oh, on the internet. Oh, oh well, they just stopped me. I were on Facebook, but uh, I have 5,000 friends, so they stopped me. What? They, I can't anymore. And people, I don't know what to do about that because there's lots of people wanted to... Con- you see, I see a lot of people. When I'm filling up with petrol, Jim, I look so different. People who are getting petrol come talking to me. And even people in, uh, who were serving petrol. And I talked to everybody. I thought they're an hour, two hours, three hours. So I know a lot of people. That's just at petrol stations uh, and uh, all the way around the world. So I know a lot of people. I just talk to everybody. I mean, no rush. So, so you're maxed out on Facebook. Do you have a website? Website? I have an email address. Is no. that a website? No, that's uh, not. Uh, it's a Google Ian Coates. You can find out more or, or what I'm doing and that YouTube because people's put that in YouTube Ian you've got a great story people can uh, look uh, you up on Facebook and uh, and follow you there you can certainly check the show notes to see a link to uh, your Facebook page and um, maybe your email address and a couple of photos we'll put up as well of you on our website Ian thank you very much and ride safe Thank you very much, Jim, for interviewing me. And say hello to Elizabeth for me, will you please? And it's been a pleasure. Will do, Ian. I've been speaking with Ian Coates, and you can find out more about Ian by looking him up on Facebook, or you can drop by our website, check the show notes for this episode. Um, You'll see a link in there to Ian's email, so you can send him an email and ask him questions or just make contact with him, because as he said, his Facebook is full. He's at the 5,000 friend point, and they won't allow him to have any more. So drop by our website, www.adventureriderradio.com. Look at the notes for this episode. And of course, you can download all of our episodes for free. This episode is brought to you in part by Max BMW Motorcycles, outfitting adventure riders since 2002. 45,000 parts and accessories online and ready to ship to your door at maxbmw.com. You can also sign up for free for their weekly e-rider newsletter at maxbmw.com. That's maxbmw.com. And Best Rest Products, home of Cycle Pump Tire Inflator, Tire Iron Bead Breaker, Easy Air Tire Gauge, and other adventure motorcycle gear. You know, when you're on the road, or off the road for that matter, you'll want a compact and reliable tire inflation method. The Cycle Pump runs right off your bike's electrical system and can fill a flat tire in less than three minutes. Made in the USA and with a five-year warranty. Check it out at www.cyclepump.com. That's www.cyclepump.com. 
Well, that about wraps up another episode of Adventure Rider Radio. Now, before you go, make sure you drop by our website, click on the comment button, send us your comments and suggestions for the show. That's at www.adventureriderradio.com. Visit us on Facebook and on Twitter. On Twitter, we're at ADV Rider Radio. And drop by iTunes. Give us a rating at iTunes. Let them know what you think of the show. I'm Jim Martin. This is Adventure Rider Radio. Now it's time to get out there and ride your bike. Ride safe. Adventure Rider Radio is made possible through Canoe West Media. And special thanks to our co-producer, Elizabeth Martin. Hi, I'm David Peterson with Best Rest Products, and you're listening to Adventure Rider Radio.